There it is. Ah, there it is. What other place in the world does a guy like Keith end up doing motions to kids' songs? You know? You got to love Jesus, man. You got to love Jesus. Um, man, what a, what a great thing. Thank you, adults, that poured into the lives of these kids this week. You have, you have no idea. No idea when that, that stuff's going to come back up in their life and when the seeds that you planted make a difference. So I'm excited to get a chance to talk to you today, um, especially at second service because, I mean, I don't have any reason to quit, right? I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. You'll get to Cracker Barrel on time. It's all right. Um, but I'm really excited about what God has for you today because I believe if you listen, um, if you listen with an open mind, it'll change your life. I believe that sincerely. It's not just hyperbole. But if you come in and you just kind of, it's another day and it's just a day that ends in Y and you just kind of do it again, um, you'll miss it. Um, and the Bible's pretty clear that if we keep coming in and we keep hearing the word of God over and over and over in our lives and we don't act on it, that we're better off never hearing it in the first place. Did you know that? James says faith without works, I mean, like hearing something without doing anything, it's dead. And if you look around at the Christians, some Christians in Bloomington, you can, you can see it's true. They pack themselves in on church on Sunday. They hear the word of God. And they go on living however they want to live. And you're actually better off never hearing it at all in that case. So what we want to do this morning, and what, every time I preach this is what I do, because I, I don't want to miss it. Um, you know, the preacher gets, gets filled up too with something. Did you know that? God, that's how, this is an amazing miracle thing. God speaks to me while I'm speaking. It's a strange, weird little thing, like a ventriloquist act up here this morning. Um, and, but I'll miss it if I'm not careful. So I'm going to take a deep breath, give you a deep breath, 30 seconds this morning. If this is the first time you've been here, something we're going to do every Sunday for a while, um, where we just take a deep breath and ask God to pause our lives and all the mess around it. The Bible says that God speaks in a still, small voice. And what he wants you to do is quiet the noise in your life so that you can hear his voice. Um, and if you will this morning, I believe you'll hear from him. So would you give me just 30 seconds this morning? Um, just pray that God would quiet your life, and then I'll close this, and we'll jump right in this morning. God, in the quiet of this room, we choose you. Even those of us in this room, and we're, we're all across the spectrum, what we believe in this room. Some of us, no doubt that you're there and that you care for us and that you love us. There are others of us that are kicking the tires, trying to decide what we believe. There's people in this room today who are faking it, telling someone they believe when they don't. It, it, all of that, you see all of it. And so would you just, just give us a deep breath today, no matter where we are, no matter what we believe, no matter where, how far we feel from you, right here, right now, would we just hit the pause button on our life so that you can speak into us? God, we acknowledge that all over the world right now, there are people who believe what we believe but have to whisper about it. People who aren't free to worship the way they want. As we sit here, as we pray right now, would you give them peace? 
And would you be honored today by the way we remember our freedom? We do not take it lightly. And we choose to use it to do what you want us to do. Would you move us today to that in your son's name? Amen. Well, July 1st, 4th is a big deal for me, but July 1st is a big deal too. My son was born on July 1st. Um, and so yesterday we took him and the family to Cincinnati to see one of our favorite teams, the Cubs, um, played the Reds. They got beat. It was ugly, but it was fun. Um, and um, we got to spend some time, um, Reese and I, uh, just just doing life together. And as busy as things get with us, um, it can be pretty crazy in our house, and I know it can be yours too. But Reese is one of those kids, um, just like uh, your kids and just like we grew up, that, that at the older he gets, the more he knows what he wants out of life, you know? And I, I'd like to just start for you for a second. I would like to ask you, um, what, what, do you what do you want? Like you get 30 seconds this morning to take a deep breath. That's not enough, by the way, but it's a start. What, what is it that you really want? You know, the older I get, the more that question, the answer to that question changes. When I was a kid, it was a Fiero. <laughs> Remember Fieros? Yeah, isn't that ridiculous that I wanted a Fiero? Now they're just big humps of plastic sitting in junkyards. I wanted a Fiero, and I got older, and then I, I wanted a wife. I wanted a hot wife, you know? I didn't just want a wife. I wanted a hot wife. And, I, and then I got a little bit older, and so did she. And we... Um, She's not here today. It's a good thing. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, you, you want a bank account with a little bit of money in it, just a little bit, right? And then you want a house. And you say this, if you're a Christian, you say, God, I, I want a big house so I can use it for hospitality, right? Yeah, right. And you get older. The older you get, though, and the older I get, the less what I want is about things and the more it becomes about people. And about deeper things than that. You know, you never hear somebody on their deathbed. You never see somebody on their deathbed. A family gathers around them and they say, what do you, what do you want? You never hear them say, would you bring the Camaro in here so I can say goodbye? <laughs> you know? They never say, would you, just, would you go to the ATM and get all my cash out of the bank and just bring it into the room while I die? Because that's really what brings me comfort. No, you know what they say? Call my brother. I want to put bygones behind us. Call my mom. Call, call my sister. Call my best friend. Because the older we get, the more we start to get a hint that what we thought we wanted isn't really what we wanted. My son, this year I asked him, I usually know, but this year about a month ago I asked him, Reese, what do you want for your birthday? Just like I asked you this morning, what do you want? To him, everything's surrounding the fact that he turns nine July 1st, you know. And, and so he's, he's already thought about it. And he says, Dad, I want a tent. We live out in the woods on 40 acres, and he wants a tent. And I don't mean like the little pup tents that I used to have when I was a kid, the little triangle ones that take two hours to put up, and then about midnight they fall in the middle, you know. Not that kind of tent. He's got his eye on an eight-man tent. <laughs> Nine years old, he weighs 60 pounds, he's about three and a half feet tall, and he wants a nine ma- or an eight-man tent, you know. So um, he's sure he wants this tent, and he's so excited. What are you going to do with this tent? Oh, Dad, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, and all this stuff. And I know what he's going to do with the tent. He's going to set it up, and then he's going to run in about as soon as it gets dark because he'll be scared to death, right? So we, we did the Cincinnati thing, we came back, and there sits in the living room when he comes home, his tent. 
And if you remember what it was like, you know, that thing that you wanted so bad, it's like a light shines from heaven on it. Oh, there's his tent, you know. And I didn't get him an eight man, but I got him a six man, you know. And, you know, it's a, it's a big tent. And it pops up. He's so excited about it. He opens it up. And he turns around and he looks at me. He's looking at the picture on it. He looks right at me and he says, Dad, this is going to change my life. (laughs) And I was really glad that he liked the tent. But here's the thing I know. No, it's not. Right? You know where that tent will be a year from now. It'll be pushed to the back of the garage under a bunch of stuff with mice creating nests in it. And one day he'll walk up and go, huh, you remember when I thought that tent would change my life? Now, now what it is, is a dirt bike. You know, this year it's a dirt bike. And this is what we do as, as adults. We just change one thing that we think will change our lives for another. A tent sounds pretty silly because you've tried it. You've tried things like that. But then we do the same thing. We decide, man, that girl would change my life. Right? No, maybe, <laughs> and maybe not the way you want it. Oh man, that, that car, that would change my life. Just to have, just to have a little bit of money le- left over, that would change my life. That house, that would change my life. And then you get it, and it just doesn't, right? Here's the thing about God. He knows what you really want. In fact, I often think that God, you know, Jesus talked about God being the father and he uses that analogy for a really good reason. If you have kids, you know what it's like to look at your kid and and have them say, this will change my life and go, no, it won't. I know that you want something at the deepest part of you, Reese, you want something that is much deeper than a tent. And as a father, I want everything in my life to focus him on the things that he really wants. When God looks at you, when God looks at me, and we pray, God, give me this thing. God, I want this thing. God, if you just give me this thing. It's, and then you go, but I, it's all I want. It's all I need, God. And he looks down and goes, no, it's not. It's really not. So he sent Jesus. And Jesus comes to earth and he sees people in this state, you know, like I see Reese because I am so desperately in love with my son and I just, I I can see what's good for him. Not, not like God can, but I see Reese differently than other people see Reese. And I see Reese differently than other, than I see other people. But when Jesus came to earth, he was so close to God. He had such a compassion for people because he was so close to God. He could look and he could look at Ron Taylor and in 30 seconds he could see what Ron thought he wanted and what Ron really wanted. And he would have compassion in a new way that nobody else would have. And it caused people just to draw people around Jesus all the time. And so Jesus began to craft an image of what, what human beings are. And, and I want to start today with this. Um, I, the, the sermon today is called Dirt, and you're going to find out real quickly why. Uh, I love to creatively name my sermons, and nobody ever remembers what I named them, but it's good for me. I like it. Um, but this one's called Dirt, and you're going to see in a minute why. But I want to start with this, this cross section. Um, it's a circle, that next slide there, um, that gives us really four segments of what Jesus begins to talk about throughout the Bible as to who we are and what we're made of. You see that next slide there with the circle? Got it? Ah, there it is. 
There's my circle. So basically, the, what Jesus says, and this is one of the first people in history to be able to do this. We have, there are philosophers that came along. There are some poets that came along and started hinting at some of these things. But Jesus is pretty clear, and the Bible becomes very clear in the New Testament, that, that you and I are made up of about four pieces. And when, man, when I think about Reese this way, I can name it really quickly. The first one is the idea of a will. Um, and, and I don't mean that thing that you sign that gives your money away to your kids. I mean this thing that's inside of you that God has given you that allows you to make choices, the will that you have. And I always say this to my kids, that if God wanted to, he, could have, he made us however he wanted to. He could have made us like those old pull string toys. Um, if you're young, you probably don't even know what these are. But they used to make toys that had pull strings, a little, little circle, and you pull out this string, and when you let it go, the doll would say something. It would be like, hello, play with me. It was kind of creepy, actually. Um, but you could pull the string. If, God wanted, if, he, if all God wanted was for you to love him and for you to say that you loved him, he would have created one of those little circles on your back. And he could have just, whenever he wanted to, pulled that string and gone, I love you, God. But that's not what love is. It's not what love is. So he created, in the deepest part of you, he created a will. And that is this thing in you that can choose. And then, he didn't force you to love him. He didn't force you to do life his way. He said, it's up to you. And then he desperately waits. <laughs> and he seeks what you will do with that will. Because that's what love is. In the deepest part, the will is what makes you a person and not a thing. This is what makes you somebody with, with a, a, a way to choose something. Your car can't choose something. A piece of wood can't choose something. You, as a human being, can choose something. This is what makes you a person. It's important. This is a very, very important part of you, but it's incredibly limited. And some adults never were put in time out enough, never were told by their parents that they don't always get their will. And you've seen this in kids. It's one of the very first things you do with a kid is say, you don't always get your way. I know that's what you want, but that's not what you're going to get. And some parents are not very good at teaching this, so the kids grow up and they become adults who still believe everything should be their way. And when you talk to them long enough, you realize they're going, well, nothing's happening right for me. And they get whiny. And you know what you call a, a person? You call kids this, but I think adults can fall in this category. You call a person who concentrates their entire life on that part of their life, you call them a brat. Somebody who thinks that they should always get their way. And when it, gets, when it doesn't go their way, things aren't right. What happens is this person believes this is all they are. All I am is my will. Jesus says, no. You're much more than that. He says you're also a mind. And the idea of the mind is this. This is your thoughts and feelings. Um, and remember, this is in Jesus' language. Um, he has lots of different ways to talk about your mind and what your mind is. Your mind is a person's thoughts and feelings. Romans chapter 8 says the mind of a sinful person is death. Now, we're all sinful. But the mind of people who have chosen to be forgiven for those sins, their, their mind is not death. It's controlled by the Spirit, and it brings by the way, one of those things you're really looking for, peace. If you're looking for peace, one of the ways you get peace is using your mind. It happens in my house all the time. The older we get, Risha and I believe that that's part of what our role is as a parent, is to remind our kids that we already have the peace that passes all understanding. That you don't have to go out and look for it in something else. But it is your mind, it's your thoughts and your feelings that allow you to, to, in that moment, remind yourself or remind the people around you that you have the peace that passes all understanding. It can lead you to that. So your mind. Then third is your body. 
Now, what, what your mind wants, or first of all, what your will wants is your way. What your, what your mind wants is new things all the time. When, when I, I see people retire, I don't, have, I don't have any want at all to sit in a recliner for the rest of my life. But I envy retired people because I want to travel. And I want to see new things. And that's the thing about the mind. The mind wants new things. And it can be good, but it can also be bad. The thing that the body wants, the body wants pleasure. It always gets real quiet when I say body and pleasure in the same sentence. You know, as a preacher, um, this is a really hard thing for me to talk about the body and pleasure and sex. It's really difficult. But Jesus, for some reason, he knew this is what humans struggle with most. This is one of the things that humans struggle with most. But we don't talk about it at church because it's weird. But Jesus, over and over and over, just went up to men and he said, Yeah, you guys think you're think you're living all right because you're not having sex with another man's wife or with other women. But let me tell you this. If you even look at a woman wrong, it's like you're having sex with her and you're hard. <laughs> Men start going, first of all, wow. And second of all, are we supposed to be talking about that stuff at church? Jesus says, yeah, if not here, where? Because your body can make your whole life out of control. So your body wants pleasure, and it's not just sex that your body wants pleasure for. Your body wants pleasure from donuts. You know, I've said that in the first service, and then I went downstairs, and I just wanted a donut so bad at that break. <laughs> you know, you just, what is it in me? I'll tell you what it is. My body wants the pleasure of that gooey, little bit glazy, crispy thing, and then the sugar hits me. and then. But you know what happens if I let my body be in charge? Too many donuts, not a good thing, Right? And too many donuts over a long period of time, really not a good thing. And so some of us, we know that our will wants something. We know that our body want, our mind wants something. We know that our body wants pleasure. All of those things are good in other ways. But the problem is, if you take those and you don't add the thing that Jesus calls the most important part of who you are, then you will be out of control. In one way or the other of those things, you will be out of control. Jesus says the most important part of you and the thing that helps you control the rest of those things is a part of you called the soul. The soul is the human, in the human soul is what integrates all of the other parts of, of, your, of who you are into one single person. Your soul is what holds all of this stuff together. But see what we do, and it's happened since Jesus' time. What we do, you never, you never get to January and hear people make New Year's resolutions about their soul, do you? Nobody gets to January and goes, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. As they wear the funny looking hat on New Year's Eve. I'll tell you what, I'm, my New Year's resolution this year is to get a stronger soul. And what we say is, I'm going to lose weight this year. Right? We work on our body. Right? We work really hard on our body. And I, I'm, a, I'm a member out at the West Side at, um, at uh, uh, Planet Fitness. Um, it's bad that I can't remember the name of it. I've been there, I promise. Um, <laughs> but every year in January, the place just packs full of people. And I quit going in January because I know February 1st, it'll go right back to where it was. Because <laughs> people make all these New Year's resolutions about their body and they give them up. And the problem was not with their body in the first place. It was with their soul. There's something deep in who they are that is broken. And yes, their body needs work. But if you just, if you just work on one thing and you miss what ties them all together, you have missed <laughs> who you are in the deepest part. We do the same thing with the mind. 
I'm already saving money to work on my child's, both my kids' minds as they get, leave high school. I want them to continue to grow. I'm pushing books down their throat all summer, you know. I want you to grow. I want your mind to grow, and that's a good thing. But if you're not, if you're not careful, you believe it's the only thing. You get out of control. The same thing happens with your body. Everybody wants to be a little bit better shape. Everybody wants to be a little bit fit. Everybody. The problem, usually, is not with your self-discipline. That's a word we use for a brokenness at the deepest part of who we are. Jesus says, the peace and the freedom that you're looking for. True peace and true freedom that you're looking for only comes from a healthy soul. The world we live in can often prevent us from taking care of that soul. You know, it, it's, like a, it's like a lawn. I mow the yard all the time. I've got about four acres of yard to mow. And I promise you, it feels like as soon as I get to the very last patch of grass to mow, I look back at the first patch and there's already a piece of grass growing right out of the front. The problem is we don't think of our soul this way, like mowing the grass. What we think of is, well, I was baptized back in 1971, gave my life to Jesus. I was born again. That's what Christians love to use the phrase born again. And you know what it makes it sound like to them? And it's a biblical term. There's nothing wrong with the term. But what it makes it sound like was, I was born and that was the end of my soul work. Now I'll work on my body, my mind, my will. But my soul's already taken care of. The truth is, your soul, the most important part of who you are, the deepest part of who you are, needs tendon. And just like your yard gets out of control if you don't take care of it for a while, you get, some of you all got some weird weeds growing in your soul. Me too. And it comes from believing that somehow the soul takes care of itself. Once I give it to Jesus, it takes care of itself. When Jesus says, you got to tend to it. you got to do something with it on a regular basis. So Jesus is standing with a group of people who believe that what they want is things. Or if they can just get this, they'll be better. And Jesus tells them a story. Now Jesus does this thing, Matthew chapter 13 Verse 1, I want to set the stage for you a little bit. We always want to do that. You don't want to just take a scripture and jump into it. You want to figure out what was going on. Jesus was exhausted. And just like us, um, he was a human that had physical needs um, for food and water and sleep and rest. And ministry wore him out emotionally and physically. And I've been there before where you just feel like you have nothing left to give. It happened to Jesus often. The difference between me and Jesus isn't just that he was God. He didn't use his God. He set aside his Godness. Remember that. He, it wasn't, he didn't use his Godness. He set aside his Godness. And the man part of him dove in to taking care of his soul. And that's what, how he got through his life. And that's how he thrived. And he's in the midst of a time where he is just healing people. And he's spending a lot of time with emotion and physical needs. And he's got his disciples together. And in the midst of that, this big group of people starts to follow Jesus. Now, you'll see in a minute, Jesus kind of tries to break away from them a little bit. Um, I believe Jesus used these times to break away to feed his soul, to work on his soul. And he was trying to. That same day, this is while he's doing a lot of ministry, if you look in the context of Matthew. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. And that's a place I like to sit, by the way, when I <laughs> soothe my soul. There's something about the, the lake. Um, and Jesus, I spent some time on the Sea of Galilee and actually got to go out on it. Um, and at one point, we sat um, out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and the guy who was our tour guide was telling us that this is what Jesus would have done. 30, 40 feet from the sea, what he did was he would get in a boat, and this is what he does, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat, he sat in it, and while all the people stood on the shore. So Jesus pushed out on the shore, he would sit in this boat, 
And I kind of wondered why he would do this until this tour guide in Israel told us this. He said, watch this. Everybody got real quiet in the boat. And he began to talk just about this kind of a volume. And the, because of the way the water was and because of the way the bank set, you could hear his voice carry through the, across the water and up into the, the beach. And it was so cool. This was Jesus' first microphone, you know? He got out on the, on the boat so that these groups of people could hear him. If he had three, 400 people around him, he didn't have a microphone like this. He had to find a way for them to hear him, and that's what this was. Him getting out so there was just hundreds probably. We don't even know how many people were following Jesus. People, by the way, who didn't believe in him. Did you know that? If you're here today, or, you know, we record these CDs too, and I hope they just end up all over Bloomington. And if you're listening today, in one way or the other, and you're not sure you believe this stuff, did you know that the majority of the people who followed Jesus didn't believe he was the Son of God? He had to prove it. He had to, they had to kept following him, and they kept following him. They kept following. The invitation here at Northside for you to come and sit in one of these pews isn't, hey, figure out your way to God and then come. It's come and we'll all figure out our way to God together. That's what this group of people was doing. All different religions, all different things, all they had in common was that they knew there had to be more in life than what they were pursuing. So Jesus tells this story. He told him many things in parables and he started with a story about a farmer who went out to sow his seed. Now, I'm not very good with the yard. I've only owned the property for a little bit. And if you know anything about yards, come see me because I'm really struggling. But I just keep feeding it, you know. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. But I had somebody tell me that a good way to do it was hand broadcast instead of those big broadcasters that you pull behind your, your tractor. So I've been doing that. I did that at the beginning of the spring. And, and it's expensive. It's an expensive thing to do to, to, to get that feed all together. And I got this big bucket, and I keep reaching in here, pulling out some seed and throwing it on the ground and going, well, there's three bucks. <laughs> there's another three bucks. You know, there's another three bucks. And it's an expensive thing to do. And even at this point in history, it was even more expensive in terms of time and energy and work to get this seed and to gather it. So Jesus is talking to a group of people who know what it feels like to sow seed around them and have seen it. So Matthew thirteen four. He says, as the, as the farmer was scattering the seed, some of it fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. There it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Next slide. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And then still other seed fell on good soil. Some of you figured it out. Good dirt. <laughs> it's where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And then he says this thing that Jesus began to say a lot. He said this a lot. In fact, if you followed Jesus a lot at this time, you would have heard Jesus say this over and over. And I decided I was going to start the story by telling you this today. This is straight from the words of Jesus. If you don't like it, don't get mad at me. Okay? Jesus said often... Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And in his language, what it meant was this, that there are some people that are listening right now who will do nothing with this. They'll come in here, they'll sit in a blue pew, they might nod their head a little bit, say, mm-hmm, preacher, amen. Walk out those doors and do nothing with it. Jesus would call those people without ears. He would say, those of you who don't have ears to hear, that is, those of you who have no reason to even listen to this in the first place, 
But then he said, those of you who have ears to hear. That is, those of you who would like to live life differently, who would like to do something different. I have a word for you. That's what I've been praying for you today. If you're a high school student, college student, if you're embarking on a new part of your life, you want to have some ears to hear today. Because this story has the chance to change your life. I believe it. It did once, and it continues to. Here's what happened with Jesus. He's sitting around a group of people, and he says, some of you have, your life is, is like the, the seed that fell on the ground and the birds ate it. God is constantly, he is the farmer, and he's constantly throwing out peace and hope and joy and ways for you to make connection with your soul with him. But if your soul is crusty, like the top of the earth gets when the sun scorches it, like, like if your soul is so crusty, you, God throws his seed on your life and you just totally miss it. I've been in places like this in my life where I've heard a song that should make me cry, where I know that worship is going and I see worship going around me and it's doing nothing for me. And I realize there is a crust on my heart, on my soul. We went to the Cincinnati and uh, Chicago game this weekend, and we looked out on the field, and it was hot. And you look down there, and the dirt is just kind of dry, and it looks crusty, and it looks bad. And Reese says, Dad, can, are they going to play on that? It just didn't look very good compared to the field. I said, no, watch this. And pretty soon the, the, the field crew comes out, and they just take just a little bit of water. I mean, it wasn't even that much. And they begin to cover the dirt. And where they cover it, it gets dark and rich-looking. That's what I prayed for you this morning. That maybe this sermon, in the midst of a dark, hard, crusty heart right now and soul, that just a little bit of water will soften you up so you can get a seed from the sower today, from the Creator. Jesus says God is constantly sowing. I love this. There's two constants in this story. One is the seed. And, you know, I told you, I, I reach into my bucket and I pour out three bucks, three bucks, three bucks. And then I get to a point where I start looking down in the bucket and I look at the bag and I think, I'm either going to have to go back to Lowe's and spend another 50 bucks on seed, or I got to get skimpy with this thing, you know? So you start going, uh, dollar fifty, <laughs> uh, 75 cents, you know? And you get, but Jesus' picture of God is that it's not who he is. If that patch right there needs $3 a seed, here's $10 worth. He's just generous. With a seed. It's everywhere. See, God made you without a pull string. But because he's in charge, he's giving you every opportunity to find ways to make connection with him. I believe if you're here today, it's not an accident. If you're hearing these words today, it's because it's one more seed that God's throwing on your life. And Jesus says, so there's this sense that there are, there, the variable in the story over and over, this, the God is the same, the seeds are the same, but the variable is the dirt, it's the soil. And what I'm praying for you today is that you walk out of here and you realize that it's your choice what kind of dirt you are, what kind of soil you'll be. Will you be the kind of soil that's crusty on top and when you, when you get moved by God, you just get, the birds get it and it's gone? Or will you soften up? See, the problem with the hardened soul, that soil that Jesus talked about that's hardened, hardened soil happens when we get hurt. You see it in people who have had a brokenness in their life and they just get hard or hard, or they get really selfish. Everything t- becomes about them. If today you find out you're, you found yourself hardened in some way by God, it's time to start looking outside of you. The second kind of soil is this sense of the shallow soil. 
the shallow soil in a way it's even more dangerous because it, 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 you get a little bit in and, and it grows a little bit, but the roots aren't deep enough. So what happens is you get churches in there all over Bloomington right now and all over America right now where you get people who they come and they hear a word from God and they go, I'm just soft enough for that to come into my life. But when it starts to take root, it hurts a little bit. When I hear the preacher say that my life should be about broken people, that that sticks into me and it grows a little bit. But when then those broken people want something from me that's uncomfortable or when I start to feel a little weird or it hurts my feelings or I get weird about it, all of a sudden the roots aren't deep enough and the whole thing dies. This is most Christians I know and where I found myself a lot in my life. But the one I'm at right now, I'll just be real honest with you, is the cluttered soul. This is the one Jesus says where there's rocks and there's stuff all over the place. And it's really not about the soil. It's that you've just put so much stuff on top of the soil that you can't ever get down to the soil. This is where I'm at right now. I'm doing all kinds of good things in my life. I got all kinds of good things, but I'm doing so many things that God, God, I'm not giving God time to speak and just, I'm not giving time just to be with God on a regular basis. If I'm not careful, I choke out the chance for these good things that God's given me to grow my soul. I don't know if this hits you or not today, but I, I've been praying for you all week, and no matter what I said, if I messed up this illustration today, I want you to hear this. If you fell asleep a minute, wake up. Your soul is waiting. Right here, right now. No matter what you believe about God, no matter where you've been, no matter how far you feel from God, right now your soul is waiting. And what you really want, what you really want most, the peace, the hope, the joy it doesn't come from your body. It doesn't come from your mind. And it doesn't come from your will. It's about your soul. Today, the world won't help you much with this. You can go to Barnes and Noble. You're going to feel. You're going to hear a lot about those other three elements. There's not a lot about your soul. And when it is, it's a little ethereal and it's weird. It's not very practical. Jesus gives you some real practical things to do. And he says, your first step today is to say, all right, God, I'm getting rid of the rocks and the stuff on my soil. Would you water my life? Would you soften my heart and my soil and my life? See, it's not about the sower. He's the same all the time. It's not about the seed. He's generous with it. It's about the dirt. And your will is in charge of the dirt. And right here, right now, sitting in a blue pew in Bloomington, Indiana, you can say, God, soften my heart so that my soul feels what it's supposed to feel and can grow. What will you do next to tend to your soul? Some of you will walk out of here and you'll diet to tend to your body. You'll read more books or you'll do a crossword puzzle to tend to your mind. You'll, you'll figure out some way to choose what you want to choose. But what will you do with your soul? As the band comes up today, I want to give you one idea. I like to be as practical as I can with this because um, I, I want to give you something to do right here, right now, um, or tomorrow morning. Um, when, when I was a kid, um, I got pushed to take showers really quickly. We just had one shower, and the whole family had to get through. And I remember like six-minute showers, you know, just as quick as you can get. And I don't really think I got all the – just the big chunks is all you get off at that point, you know. Um, <laughs> So when I got older, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make a day of this thing. You know, like I got a shower to myself. I'm paying the water bill. I'm going to take a shower. And so now I'm an adult. I don't know where my baggage comes from in this, but I, do, I shave in the shower. I brush my teeth in the shower. I do as much as I can just sitting under the water. I love it. 
And I don't know if this works for you or not, but one of the ways that God has led me to feed my soul comes in the shower every morning. It happens the same time. I get up the same time and I get in the shower in the same time. And I've got to the point where instead of using that time to think about what I'm going to do for the day, I just say, God, would you use this shower? Weird, isn't it? You didn't want to hear about the preacher's shower. God, would you just use this shower right now? You know what? Even if you don't believe in God, you can do this tomorrow. God, as this water comes down on my head and as the shampoo's in my hair, would you, would you clean my mind? All the dirty thoughts, whether they're sexual, whether they're all about me, would you just clean that up? It's not what I want in my life. And then as I brush my teeth, part of the reason I brush my teeth in the shower is because I'm a preacher and I'm a talker and I say some awful things to my kids, to people I love. God, as I brush my teeth, God, would you clean my mouth? Would you take care of that junk that I did yesterday? And today would I speak differently because my soul is clean. And then I do this thing that may be what I need most. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. That's why I love to do this in the morning. I look down and I see the, all the toothpaste and the shampoo and all this stuff go down. And I'm looking down at the drain and I'm watching yesterday go away. All the grime, all the stuff the world tried to get me to believe would actually bring me peace and hope. It's all gone. And today I choose freshly my soul. I choose freshly the creator of the universe. No matter how long you've been doing this Jesus thing, would you do this tomorrow? Today? In fact, right now we're going to sing a song called White Flag. If you had a problem with your soul today, would you just move this way? Would you just come this direction? Well, one of the things Christians love to do is to raise their hand and to say, yes, Jesus, and sit, stand right where they are and not move, not do anything. If that's you today, that's between you and him. But if you want to do something different today, move. Physically get out of your pew and move here. If you've already accepted this Jesus thing, just lean on these stairs and pray today and ask Jesus to renew your soul. If you haven't, I'm going to be standing right here. I would love to introduce you to the free gift that comes from Jesus. No strings attached. Would you stand with us and sing this song to him and just surrender your life to him this morning. The battle rages on as storm and tempest roar. We cannot win this fight inside our rebel hearts. We're laying down our weapons now. We raise our white flag. We Laying your body down, you 
Cross. 